Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to my coverage of CARP Ontario's Guardian UFO case. In the last episode, my guest Ian Rogers spoke both about his experiences investigating the Guardian case, but also about the route this story took to being featured on a major CBC documentary named UFO Town. When I was putting that prior episode together, I came to learn that my friend and past guest of the show, Chris Rutkowski, was one of the UFO investigators who received Guardian's mailings back in the 80s and early 90s. I also learned that Chris was invited, but declined to participate in the UFO Town documentary. Given all that, I thought Chris would be the perfect person to invite here to help me both further break down the case and discuss the UFO Town documentary. And that's what we're about to get into. The following discussion was recorded shortly after UFO Town aired on CBC. So let's get into it. In this episode, Chris Rutkowski and I will discuss CBC's UFO Town documentary in the strange, strange world of the Guardian UFO case. Chris Rutkowski, what's with the, the strange background? It looks like you're in front of an auditorium or something. Are you giving a lecture? I, I... This is my lecture uh, mode here, but I'm going to change it. I'm just finding the one I want to use here. You're giving a lecture on Guardian UFO truth because you're like a that, yeah. you're a real champion of this case. <laughs> uh, how's it going over there? Aside from your technical uh, background issues, yeah, it's you know we're we're uh, hanging in there. We're not uh, fully locked down again, which is good, I think. Um, let's get into it here. So okay. you've, you've been associated with this case, or at least involved in this case, since the very beginning. You are one of the uh, the chosen few who received <laughs> mysterious packages from Guardian. Indeed, yeah. Uh, back uh, in the uh, late 1980s, of all things, that's when the story really began. Yeah. And Did you? Because in Guardian, it seemed like there was kind of two sets of packages that were sent out. There was the the initial ones in like 88, 89-ish. And then in they... 89, yeah, and then uh, um, and then in 91, 92, something like that, the second set came out. Did you receive both sets? Yes, yeah. So you're a purebred uh, guardian. You bet. <laughs> recipient. <laughs> so it, in 88, like to paint a picture, when, you, when you're investigating UFOs and being involved in the stuff you're involved in now... Back in 88, of course, you weren't on, you know, in Facebook groups and stuff. Was it unusual for you to receive like a package in the mail with photos of, you know, dating to be aliens? Like, was that an unusual thing to get back then? No, (laughs) (laughs) no. Um, I I had been receiving things uh, in the mail for quite some time. Uh, Back then, I had already been publishing my Swampcast journal for a while. And one of the deals that ufologists used to do before the age of the internet was publish ufozines. Mm. Um, and uh, they would trade with each other. So you would just get people's mailing addresses who published something. 
and you ship them off because I'm hoping to get something in return. And so you're on mailing lists all over the place. So I ended up exchanging uh, paper copies of stuff mailed uh, from literally all around the world. Um, uh, I, you know, Jenny Randall's, uh, the, the British ufologist, uh, I was getting her Northern UFO news in exchange for the Swampcast Journal. Uh, I was getting um, uh, MUFON Skylook. I was getting um, stuff from Italy, South America, like, uh, like literally all, all over the place. So getting a package in the mail of, of stuff uh, was actually fairly common. Um, and until the videotape showed up, that was a little bit strange. But until the videotape showed up, um, it was just, you know, photos of um, blurry photos of aliens or uh, sort of uh, rants that went on about, you know, the Great White Brotherhood and mm -hmm. uh, government cover up and all that sort of stuff. So uh, it was very interesting to, that this sort of came. And the trouble was that usually these things are sort of generic. And what was interesting about the first batch of Guardian stuff in, in 89 was that it was very specific. It talked about a crash of a, of a UFO in a specific place. And, um, uh, you know, that, that was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And you'd think that this would be, you know, verifiable. And so in 1989, there was a, uh, a UFO researcher named Clive Naden from England. And he, at that time, was living in Ottawa. Uh, well, no, not Ottawa. He was in Nepean, actually, just outside of Ottawa. And um, he had been a ufologist in England, and he had uh, uh, moved to Canada for a while and was doing some investigations in the Ottawa area. And so when this started up, um, uh, he and I had been corresponding, and he said he'll go and take a look. So... Um, he went and, and tromped around in the bush and talked with everybody he could find in the area and uh, in short order found that there was nothing to the story whatsoever. So he thought that was the end of it, really. Um, and uh, then a few years later, when the next round started coming, um, you know, things changed. Uh, and in between that time, um, uh, Graham... Um, Graham Lightfoot, who was with, um, I'm trying to remember that, Q4, and I think, uh, had actually gone out. And he didn't go until the spring because the, the middle of winter, when Clive went, it was just, you know, really rough going and, you know, waist high snow drifts and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So Graham went out and he did the exact same thing, talked to people, tromped around in the area, found there was nothing to it. Um, and, uh, but then the, the, the video came out. And suddenly it seemed that, um, you know, people took a, a more of an interest when it was just a story and a piece of paper. That wasn't, that was one thing, but it took on a life of its own because of the, the videotape and the fact that it was sent a little more broadly. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people in the States got it and uh, a lot of people who didn't know the area uh, latched onto it uh, and thought it was something um, in the, documentary you know Bob Exler um, was promoting it as a real case Bill Nell actually also was promoting it uh, as a major case Bill better known for some uh, UFO films uh, mm -hmm. produced over the past two years but he his version of carp 
really went off on all sorts of tangents. It was, it, uh, we couldn't figure out where that came from. And um, uh, the Toronto MUFON gang, uh, uh, led by Tom Theophanus, mm-hmm. uh, did an expose of the whole CARP thing uh, and published it. And they were threatened to be sued uh, for all sorts of things for, for uh, you, know, you know, killing a good story, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, people were really bad at them. But, uh, you know, it, it had a life of its own. And I think the documentary really shows this, that people really wanted to believe so much. And, uh, and, and as, uh, as Ian says, you know, people believe what they want to believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the story had all these elements that were so fun, you know, uh, military cover-up. You know, there's a, of course, I mean, so close to Ottawa, there's this great military base. Of course, there's going to be helicopters. Of yeah. course, there's going to be, you know, uh, lots of maneuvers and stuff. And the work, the, um, the interesting thing is that where that, this, this video was shot, um, uh, they're actually doing uh, sort of war games and stuff like that. I mean, there is signs about, you know, handwritten DND property keep out and shot through with bullet, bullet holes and things like that. So, I, you know, it had all, it was such an obvious um, fabrication, but it, it really uh, was something that people glommed onto. And, and uh, that's it. The, the story took on a life of its own. And I think that the documentary really, really goes there. Yeah, I, th- I think this case encompasses a lot of like the best parts of UFO cases and the worst parts of UFO cases. Absolutely. And I actually refuse to do the show. Yeah, I want to hear about that. So you were you were one of the people that the production crew reached out to to be involved in it. Why did you say no? Well, um, because uh, my view was that if you're going to do a TV documentary about uh, a good UFO case, and they, they talked about this being a good case, and I said, no, it's not a good case, and I laid out why. Um, you know, why not do you know, uh, some of the other things that have a little more going for them, like Shag Harbor has a handful of documents and mm-hmm. RCMP officers. Um, people probably know me about talking about Falcon Lake. There's Falcon Lake, uh, Rivers, Manitoba, Langenberg, um, uh, you know, Yukon. There's a lot of cases that have a lot of supporting evidence and um, multiple witnesses and, you know, uh, investigations by officials uh, so do a really good case. And uh, the problem was that CARP had resurfaced over the years several times. And on Facebook, for example, and, uh, and other social media, people are always posting, here's a really great case. Look at this video. It, it proves that UFOs are real. And I said, no, it's not real. It was exposed. Oh, how do you know? And, <laughs> you know, you're just saying that you don't know. And then they said, well, I know somebody who lives in the Carlton area and they say it's absolutely bona fide. And, you know, we've had that over the years. It's done. It's a hoax. Move on to something more interesting. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that after seeing the documentary, yes, it's good television. (laughs) I mean, it's a a good story. And like you say, it does um, show the, the good and the bad of ufology because I mean, there were some really good ufologists who really took on this case um, as an investigation and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. I mean, certainly Ian Rogers, Drew, I think, investigated as well. And 
uh, it shows that ufologists um, are not all grouped into the same basket of, of dummies like the skeptics and debunkers want to say. Um, but there are some who are clearly out uh, with their own agendas. And I think that's one of the problems that, that, uh, you know, that we encountered with this particular case. So I turned down, I said, you know, I really don't want to have anything to do with the show. If you're going to do the carp case, I'll talk about some other cases. Um, and I had just had the experience of working with basically the same crew on Spaceman, uh, the case about Ranger Taylor. And, uh, I had reservations about that case too, because, you know, it, it, it didn't speak to ufology. It's an interesting human interest story, but didn't speak to ufology. But they did a good job on that. So um, they actually have a pretty good record right now. Yeah. And I can tell you that they're actually working on uh, on uh, more stories right now um, that are under under development. Um, so I I think that they did a good version of this of the carp case. It just mm -hmm. It's a hoax, people. Get over it. <laughs> yeah, and it, th they didn't shy away from that, though. Like, I think what I liked about the film w was they they told the story, the fascinating aspects and tabloidy aspects of the story, but they kept it more about just the charade about this Guardian character and the search for Guardian, highlighting the people who did some investigation into it, like Ian, and highlighting the people who seemed to be pretty devout believers. Like they had a couple people, uh, I can't, I don't recall the names, but there's two witnesses that were recalled it like landing in their backyard when they were children and such. So I, I just thought it kind of, it encompassed again, the good and the bad of the uf ufology world. It had the great story, the shadowy guardian figure with a VHS tape, mailing it to you and everybody else. It had the, um, the self-promoting Bob Exler, mm -hmm. who like, like it or not, you see a lot of kind of characters like that in ufology. It, I'm sure. It's a slice of ufology. There's no question that it does portray ufology with all its warts. If um, if only the case had more credibility, then it would have everything. Because it's yeah. uh, that's the one thing the case lacks is is credibility there's not really anything to it and then another thing I'm, I'm curious about this is when when guardians sending out these packages of course the tape was there and the tape is what everybody talks about but he they also had this like basically like white nationalist manifesto oh back, yeah back then did everybody just ignore that <laughs> and be like this is a great tape um, yeah, it was ignored. And um, what's interesting is that a lot of the conspiracy buffs uh, were into that. Uh, real, real, a lot of the UFO types were into the, the White Brotherhood, the Great White Brotherhood. And of course, that was part um, of a lot of the, the early um, contactee stuff as well. Uh, the connections to uh, a higher race, um, you know, secret mystical organizations and, and that type of thing. So there was all that sort of stuff that was woven into a lot of early ufology uh, in the 50s, especially. Uh, so this was not at all surprising. Um, but yeah, it, a, a lot of uh, red flags. And what's interesting is that um, a lot of that is um, prominent today. If you look on, into the UFO conspiracy stuff uh, that's been going on um, in the radical right, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, white brotherhood, uh, pseudo nazi sort of stuff mm -hmm. uh, connected with the uh, UFO organizations. I mean, the, the Samistat, the, uh, there's uh, some great books, uh, not great books, but, but, but 
some books that were published on um, UFOs as Nazi secret weapons. I mean, uh, those are published in the 50s and 60s and uh, are still under some private circulation. Uh, so they've been part of the ufology movement for quite some time. Yeah, well, even um, maybe, maybe this was two years ago. You you know Chris Cogswell? Do you know who? I'm yes, talking about? yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he was he's a friend of mine and he became the like lead of investigations for MUFON and ended up resigning uh his position because of some what would be considered, I guess, far right behavior of MUFON higher ups. That was just a year or two ago. And mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's that's still out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess that that isn't a, as much of a departure from what you would expect. But I just found like everything I read about carp or the guardian case it, it or if you watch the unsolved mysteries case uh, episode it really focuses on the short document the short video of mm-hmm. a truck as you would put it with flares and such well and but, the, the the original uh one of the prevailing explanations for a long time was helicopters and what they had done of course is even though this is stabilized mm-hmm. um they were moving the camera up and down so that it looked like the object itself was moving up and down mm. and landing and so forth. Um, and of course, at the same time, there were these black unmarked helicopters that people had said were flying around there. Exler was really big on that. Um, and, and, you know, of course, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in Ottawa. Uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, I have a friend who uh, who's from Nepean and Canada, and uh, we've driven all the way through, all through there. And sure, there's a, there's a military presence in the area. It's it's Canada's capital. So to have helicopters flying in and out, no surprise. Absolutely none. <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't strike me as as odd. But um, were you involved back then when there was like a search for who this guardian was? Were, were you involved in any of that, trying to identify? Well, this yeah, person? not not being in the Ottawa area uh, for any length of time back then. No, I wasn't involved in the real search. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Theophanis uh, was very involved in uh, trying to find out who it was. Um, as a matter of fact, I was just going through my file and I have a, a, a three-page uh, statement from Tom Theophanis from back then, basically uh, you know, laying out what he thought was really going on and, and didn't mince words. Uh, I also have Clive Maiden's uh, statement. Uh, uh, he actually solicited help from a lot of people trying to track down who uh, Guardian was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and it was, this was actually um, quite prominent. You know, we know Facebook right now. I've heard of it, yeah. Before that, there was <clears throat> a number of forums, Paracast and all that. Well, uh, there was Paranet and Fidonet. And I actually have printouts um, of printouts of where this this is um ufo echo so this is this is before paranet even um on the 12th of september 1991 um uh we looked into the supposed carp crash two years ago so this was talking about the first batch Caused a bit of a flurry, and Larry Fenwick actually gave a talk on the case at, at Wendell Stevens UFO conference in 1991. Um, but our associates in Ottawa actually went to CARP to try and check out the report and found there was virtually nothing to it. Clive Naden, a very competent investigator who contributes to my annual UFO survey, tromped around in the bush exactly where the crash was said to have occurred and also spoke to people living in the area 
Turns out there had been some UFOs seen in the area in months gone by, but nothing that would in any way verify the story. That's a continuance of the search of the silly hoax. I wonder why people on Paranet are wasting so much time on it. That was 1991. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing that it's been going on that long. And when this, when people were interested in this case back then, was it, did they, were they looking for Guardian because they thought maybe Guardian had some connection to important people and there was some credibility there? Or was it just kind of like, let's find out who this person is that's putting this hoax together? Well, there's a number of factors. One is crash retrieval. Um, and mentioned Wendell Stevens, of course. Well, you know, crash retrieval was was really prominent um, back late 89, 91. Uh, just really starting to ramp up. You know, is there evidence uh, of a crash? I mean, this was, um, you know, bef- well, this is about the same time that Roswell was starting to to uh, become a little better known. Um, and it was the fact that if, if there was something that was in Canada, I mean, that would make it really interesting. And then it had all these elements about, you know, would the government actually cover up uh, a, a case like this? And just, you know... He, you know, the government hushing everybody up, uh, bulldozing everything flat so you wouldn't be able to get any evidence uh, of your own, um, mailed in secrecy. And it actually, the fact that so many UFO investigators were receiving it was actually a bit of an ego boost for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. That, hey, I'm important enough that I got this secret package, you know, that type of thing. So there were, had a lot of elements that contributed to a UFO myth. Uh, that's such a more exciting time because now if you have you know this um the story i that you hear I, I find most often is like i was at the beach and i took a picture and then when i got home and i looked at the picture i saw this in the sky above me and you know there's a little black dot or something like that mm-hmm. you you could just dump that on facebook and it's so forgettable but back in like you know in in this era late 80s early 90s you could you couldn't do that so you had to like take the effort to like print it and if you maybe you had access to those early versions of the internet you talked about but if not you had to like get it printed and like send it to people so it mm-hmm. almost like added this sort of gate uh, this like gatekeeper at the beginning of the the you know the sighting or whatever it is becoming known so Absolutely. like people and one other added element which wasn't in the uh uh, in the documentary is that this was actually reported to the National Research Council. Oh. Um, and actually Clive had that. Where is it now? Um, yeah, it was phoned to the National Research Council on April 5th, 1989. Uh, and this actually was, uh, okay, not the story itself. This was an early version but a woman said she was driving between Carp and Ottawa with her son. It was an orange-yellow light that was pulsating, no sound. It veered and then stopped in midair like a helicopter. It was 30 feet in diameter. She had to veer on the highway to avoid it. She stopped the car and they both got out. Her son was wearing a ski jacket. When he got home, the arm was burned. She took him to the hospital and the doctor noticed that his her lip was swollen and according to what the doctor was supposed to say it said he said it was like they were exposed to radiation now this was reported to the national research council 
So that added a level of authority to the case as well. And the reasoning was, well, would somebody, if somebody was making a hoax, would you actually report it to authorities? And I don't know, maybe you felt somebody felt safe reporting it to the NRC because what are they going to do, report you to the MPs? I don't know. Um, but uh, it had the, this whole range of stuff. And the fact that it was all combined in one story made people think, well, maybe there might be something behind this. Yeah, it's got a lot of the different agencies because it's like, of course, Exler has a background with NASA in some mm -hmm. capacity. Then there is um, the police eventually get involved. The RCMP get involved mm -hmm. in, in some weird way. So it was almost like whoever was putting this hoax together, maybe they had the wherewithal to kind of just draw these other people in and collect them, you know, a more fascinating story. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it just builds they were this having mythology. A lot of they were probably having a lot of fun seeing all the uh, all the interest that they were getting from it. yeah well it's um but at the same you can roll your eyes and stuff at that at them doing that but at the same time one thing that i love about ufo stories are the interesting people that gravitate to them so mm -hmm. although this case doesn't have the credibility that others do it certainly has managed to get all these little interesting people and interesting little events all stuck together it's it's lacking the mystery of what was it in the sky that day you know that a ufo story should be based on so it's it's almost like this it's a different version of a story kind of set up as a ufo story i guess it, yeah, in, and there were there were ufo cases um besides this i mean um i was just before uh, coming on i was just checking the uh, the database of the canadian ufo survey and going back all to the beginning over 30 years there's actually quite a few cases from carlton west carlton carlton place um carp you know the the uh, there's actually a number of interesting cases from there hmm. i don't know the area at all uh like i've never heard of carp outside of this case um in west carlton I, i've never heard that place name until this documentary because i've always known this case as the guardian case or the carp case but this documentary it seemed they favored west carlton case yeah west carlton is a broader area carp is a small town within this this uh, larger area mm -hmm. um and it's just if, if you don't know the area it won't mean anything but uh, what it, there's ottawa and then just outside of ottawa is a place called canada mm-hmm um, and uh, it's a nice bedroom community. A lot of uh, people commute from there into the city. Lots of trees. There's a nice little forest, but it's also very close to um, the um, the airport and the military base. Um, as a matter of fact, and I'm trying to think what year that would have been, but I actually saw the space shuttle Enterprise. Um, it was um, piggybacked onto a 747 and was touring uh, around the world, you know, uh, as part of a public relations campaign, and it stopped in Ottawa. And uh, I got to see the, the actual space shuttle Enterprise on on a 747, and it was parked just outside of Canada uh, at the uh, at the airbase, uh, and you could actually walk right up to it. It was really <laughs> kind of cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very interesting little area. Mm -hmm. And 
in talking before this, you sent me a few like photos of your, the envelope and stuff that you got from guardian. How much other crap like this do you have archived? I I can only imagine you live amongst the dustiest bookshelves of weird letters and envelopes. Have you always just been like meticulous with archiving this stuff? I have actually. Uh Um, and uh, I use it, I mean, I use a lot of this stuff as a resource for writing my books and, and articles and so forth. That's what you tell people to justify uh, the bookshelves full of dust. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's more than a bookshelf. I mean, there's filing cabinets and um, uh, just everything you can name, tchotchkes galore. Mm. And, uh, uh, and of course, a lot of this is all going to the university uh, archives and, and uh, COVID put a stop to the actual transferring of it, so it's sort of in between. One thing that that came up in this is when when you show me the envelope um, of the the letter that Guardian sent you. You had told me when you watched the movie or, or the documentary UFO Town when there's the gentleman is talking about his grandmother's mm-hmm. documents, and you saw a resemblance. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the size of the envelope is same, and what's interesting, and maybe you have to watch the uh, the, do- the documentary again, but it's sealed with this kind of packing tape, hmm. and, and it's so the same you're holding of- the letter Guardian sent the envelope that Guardian yeah, sent this, you. This yeah, this is the this is what the Guardian sent me. Huh. It's reversed, but this is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, but that, that tape is unique. I, I know that it's it's kind of a plasticky, shiny packing yeah. tape. It's and, not and your it, typical and tape. It was on his grandmother's letter, right? Ooh. Which sort of, to me, says, eh, you know. Although I did notice that the envelope, mine is plain, the envelope that he opened had the Canada logo on it because she did work for uh, DN, or it was a DN, no, external affairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting, though, uh, even with the tape being a match. But what did you what did you th- I know there's been suspects, uh, quote unquote, of who Guardian was, but I've never heard any rumors of this fellow's grandmother being Guardian. Is, is this a new character to you? Uh, well, there was um, there was uh, uh, Mrs. Gill mm-hmm. and um, the Lebanex mm-hmm. and um I forget which I know it must it must have been the Lebanex who Tom Theophanes uh, talked about quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm not sure whether they were the ones who ran the uh, war games out there or not. But uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that could have been the Guardian, and uh, you know, in uh, in the documentary, they they just don't come out and say it was this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, in either Tom's manifesto or uh, the one by, uh, uh, by MUFON Canada uh, or MUFON Ontario, that they do come out and say who they think it was. Um, who is it that they say it was? That I, their opinion I, was? You know, I, I, I always thought that they were saying that it was the Lebanex, but I can't remember right now. Okay. Um, my, my thought was that whoever did this, whoever was guardian and was behind it or whichever person or people, they must've just been doing it for their own enjoyment because it doesn't seem like anyone outside of Bob Exler tried to profit on it in any way. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, usually hoaxers, um, 
you know, have some motive. And what was the motive behind this other than to just get on TV? Yeah. Cause problems or, you know, get people all riled up. Um, Although the attention that the story was getting was certainly, you know, very, you know, uh, they had a lot of fun by it, obviously. Yeah. Well, at the time in the early nineties, when this was on or mid nineties, early nineties, when this was on unsolved mysteries, that was, that was about as big as you could get outside of like X-Files doing an episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They must've had a couple of chuckles over that one. Yeah. And also the, even just the way that the doc, the unsolved mysteries episode was put together, it was really like this guardian person is this, you know, this um, shadowy figure. Like if we could only talk to them, we could solve this mystery. Our aliens here. Like it's, it was a real um, ego boost for whoever mm-hmm. guardian was. And if that was their plan to just get publicity, man, they, they achieved that. And Bob Exler, like, when you watch UFO town, I think it really shows kind of what his motivation was within mm-hmm. it, but it's almost like I would want to think that he was involved in some way because he seemed so keen to, um, to help promote it. But at the same time, maybe that was just because he was so closely attached to the case that by promoting guardian in this case, he was in turn uh, raising his own status. Yeah. They didn't, make a lot of money hand over fist. I mean, there's, there's no question. Uh, and of course, because they were keeping their identity secret, they couldn't come out and say, it's me, give me the money, right? Yeah. So so how how could you profit from this at all? Well, uh, uh, Exler was planning, like he, wasn't he doing like looking for donations for a documentary that he wanted to film or a book he wanted to write about it? Oh well, yeah, he was going to write the ultimate book on it, yeah. Mm. But I think, but this was the Guardian case was happening, like, or these letters were coming out before he was involved. So I, I think it's, it's easy to, it's safe to say that he wasn't responsible for it. But yeah, he promoted it, but he wasn't responsible for it. Yeah. He may have given them ideas. He certainly mm-hmm. knew who it was, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause he seemed to be pretty collaborative with it, mm-hmm. uh, with them. Um, I've never seen, and just like we said earlier, I've never seen him in any of his promotion of this case address the bizarre manifesto, the manifesto that was that guardian sent just so I understand it was that China was collaborating with Iraq spelt wrong and Canada mm-hmm. to cover it up. Yeah. Some, some, uh, some great interesting things in there. Uh, you know, um, there's my copy here. We're going to get like kicked off YouTube for hate literature. If we read too much of this, but maybe give us a gist of what, what, guardian has yeah to say. i mean there's there's a great uh, uh this is gonna be backwards i don't know what, why i'm doing this but um <laughs> yeah you can see there's the uh you know there's the, the masons are involved of course somehow, they're involved yeah and uh you know there's all sorts of um it's just, it's blue pulse beacons and things like that but the manifesto um you know this is the type of thing uh global change is unavoidable uh, it can be one towards democracy if red China blacked out. Of course, you have to black out some of the stuff. <laughs> um, uh, and it's all about, you know, there, there's, you know, China's going to order, is going to make war. Uh, there's biological weapons involved. Genome project is incomplete. Nazi style medical experimentation. America will be crippled. Power grids, tanks, missiles, cars, antennas. Phone lines, anything metal will pick up an EMP pulse. 
and you know it's it's yeah. far right stuff it's, it's, yeah and i'm just thinking like whoever guardian is they probably don't wear a mask when they go to walmart like that's kind of <laughs> who the type of character this is they're yeah. not getting the vaccine yeah they're not getting the vaccine that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah they're at the rallies that are uh, around city hall right now at the freedom rallies yeah. we had one in halifax um my mom was telling me she my mom who's like 60 had my grandmother in the car who's like 90 uh they were driving in the shopping area of halifax and there was like a group of like 12 people with signs about you know don't wear a mask and don't get the vaccine and my grandmother i guess yelled out the window something at them about you guys should be wearing masks get off my lawn <laughs> yeah and, um yeah actually the the we had one here too and uh, there was a woman just sitting in a lawn chair and her sign read very simply uh, do not obey. Mm. And you're thinking, okay, in general, um, <laughs> like what you're, you're just not going to stop at stop signs or mm. like, what, what's the deal here? You know? Yeah. That's a uh, quite the guidance to give out by a sign, but I think get, getting back to guardian, I think what's, what's great about this story in, in my opinion anyway, is that someone for whatever reason, and whoever this person was, just felt the need to stir things up in a creative way mm -hmm. and managed to, I, I think it's it's easy to say that this is one of the most infamous cases in Canada. It's well known for yeah. a lot of the a lot of the wrong reasons, but it's still a cool UFO rabbit hole. If you, if you write a book, well, I'm sure you've wrote a few of them, but if you write a, a book about Canadian UFO stories, there can be an interesting piece about the Guardian case without it being out of place. Absolutely. Yeah, it, ha it has to be part of Canadian UFO lore, uh, for sure. And whether it was the Gills or the Lavinex or somebody else, and there's, there's, you know, I know there's a couple other names that were batted around too that, that might have been, mm -hmm. you know, the people who were, were behind the Guardian. We still don't know exactly who the Guardian was, but you know, there's there's educated guesses based on where these things are happening and the fact that, you know, the, the burned out truck was found on somebody's property. And, you know, it's there's you can add up all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And I, I it's and I guess it's not even important, really, who it was, because like if that mystery gets solved, then the whole intrigue goes away, I think. Yeah, it's, I think yeah. it's like leaving it as an open book about who this person was or people were and what their motivation was that, that would just keep people talking. I think if they had found them back in 92, this case would have been largely forgotten. And, and, you know, Ian says that he, in the documentary, like, you know, it, it, you don't even have to have the, the mystery solved. It, it, it's part of the UFO mystery and it's part of the phenomenon itself. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any other case in Canada that, as far as the tabloidy nonsense goes that holds a candle to guardian because like, is anything like this in your time here uh we have one that's pretty close uh the jackhead uh crash um uh and that's just what um five years ago six years ago something like that where's this where's the jackhead it's probably in manitoba okay um and this was promoted by um uh a lot of the you know the 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 schlocky UFO video uh, groups and uh, and YouTube uh, groups and that type of thing. Oh God, love them! Yeah. Uh, what's the what are what are some of the big ones? Fifth uh, phase of the moon. Fifth, yeah, fifth phase of the moon covered it, um, and a few others. 
And the story was, we don't have enough time to go into it. It's, it's a long story, but the story was that something was said to have crashed um, on Lake Winnipeg in northern Manitoba, not in northern Manitoba, but in central Manitoba. And it was immediately covered up. The government um, military flew in and they retrieved this, um, this pyramidal shaped uh, object that had fallen from, from uh, the sky and uh, it had it under tarps and they, they uh, threatened people uh, with pr imprisonment if they you know, uh, didn't shut up and all this sort of stuff. And it was all over Twitter. Um, it was on Facebook. There were photos of military trucks, transport trucks um, on some ice roads. And, um, and the, the photos are actually real. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there were uh, uh, photos of uh, uh, RCMP and RCAF snowmobiles on the ice on the lakes and, and that type of thing. And it took a, a life of its own. And I in actually investigated that one and found out that it was, there was nothing to it. But to this day, people say, oh, no, I, I have a friend of a friend or my sister's cousin said, yeah, this absolutely happened. And, but it, and it was like everywhere and, and uh, websites were, were doing it. It, it made uh, national TV. It was all over the place. Nice. Um, I, I say nice cause I, I enjoy the charade of it, but I, I know this stuff drives you nuts. You, um, <laughs> if, if I could, the color is weird on your video, but if your hair is gray, it's like, it's these cases that have done it. Uh, cause I, I yeah, see you gray. on, um, one of my favorite parts of like the Facebook UFO groups is when you um, butt heads with uh, what I would refer to, I guess, as a, an illogical believer. Um, so UFO it, zealot, a zealot, a zealot. That's a good yeah. way to put yeah. it. But it's um, it's almost like you you're so like logical and scientific in your approach. You've picked, I think, the worst um, area to apply that kind of behavior to. Um, <laughs> Because there are a lot of lens flares uh, floating around above us right now. There are, there are absolutely <laughs> landing and taking off, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and lots of Starlink satellites. You know, yeah, we, had, that's we, we just thing. we just had another launch, and boy, are you know, we're just bracing for the UFO report. Yeah, I get because um, people often will whenever there's like a UFO thing in the news, or if even if there's like a tweet that's getting some attention that involves UFOs, people will tag me and send it. Like Jordan, you see this? Once a week, it's it's the exact same photo of the Starlink satellites that somebody shares where it's it's so obvious because it's, you know, like the seven or eight just mm -hmm. dots in a row in the sky above some random city. And yeah, it, it just happens so often. Elon Musk must be getting a kick out of that. And, 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 just, and just think about it. Here's somebody who is really into, you know, and they're convinced that some of the people who take the photos and submit them are, you know, I know this was contact. This must be an alien ship you know that they're on all sorts of websites you know where there's all this sort of discussion how is it that they had never heard of starlink before tell me <laughs> yeah um anyway this has been this has been great i when when i first learned like i knew a bit about the carp guardian story but i didn't know exactly how nuts it was until i watched ufo town and then started reading afterwards and i was so delighted to see your name pop up so much because i'm just thinking like <laughs> this is uh this must have drove him nuts so yeah. i was uh 
I was glad to get to see your envelopes and I I'm glad that you archived this stuff because it's um, a lot of it's like what is on the internet now is really old transcriptions of old writings or super poor quality stuff. So I think uh, you should do a new like blog post or something on your blog and include some of the new stuff just because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be searching for this case now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've mentioned it in my blog a couple of times, but not uh, uh, in, a, in a long post. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe I should. Uh, I actually I've already been asked for a review of the uh, of the show, so uh, maybe I'll use that. What uh, is in in a couple words? What is your review of the show overall? You've seen a lot of UFO documentaries. What what did you think of UFO Town? UFO Town is uh, uh, definitely one of the best uh, documentaries about UFOs mm-hmm. um, because it's it's not strictly sensational. It tells a sensational story in a factual way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it does uncover, uh, the fact that it, it, you know, it seems to be a hoax and it doesn't shy away from that. And I can't think of any, many UFO documentaries that actually do that, Yeah. that, uh, pursue the UFO stories and then say, oh yeah, well, it was a hoax, mm. but they do it in a way that, that it's unraveling a mystery and, uh, it actually is more suited to the most recent season of Unsolved Mysteries, mm-hmm. where they really tell a story uh, and, and a mystery and unravel it. I know this is, sorry, your your d- domain, you know, telling good uh, mysteries, um, but it, I think it does tell a tell an interesting story about a mystery and and uh, the solution to the mystery, but in an entertaining way. Yeah. And I thought they did like the same team did the spaceman, the Granger Taylor piece. Mm-hmm. I thought that was well done as well. It was very good looking and it was an intriguing story and it, and it kind of covered all the different angles. So it's, I think they're on a bit of a, a bit of a roll. Yeah. And spaceman was actually, was very, very sad. It was very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, it really made you think about, uh, about the impact of, uh, uh, of UFOs and the nature of ufology. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris. Well, this has been awesome. I appreciate you uh, staying up past your 9 p.m. bedtime and pulling out those dusty papers. Um, But I'm sure we'll get to chat about this sort of thing again soon. Yeah, stay tuned uh, because the the Canadian UFO survey is really close to being finished. How close are we talking here? I've been been, uh, on the edge of my seat because I know it's coming. Let me just say, Jeff is coding as we speak. Okay. all right. Well, we'll I'm excited because I'm going to have you back as soon as it's released. I want to be first in line to go through okay. with you. But I appreciate this, Chris. Okay, great. Thanks. I want to thank you for joining Chris and I in our discussion about the Carp Ontario, a.k.a. Guardian UFO case. In case it wasn't clear during our discussion, I highly recommend anyone interested in this story make time to watch the documentary. I have the links that will get you to it in the show notes. And with that, I'm going to start wrapping up the episode. But first, some thanks. A massive thank you to Chris Rutkowski for joining us tonight. Also, a big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music to the episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you care to take a bit of weight off the show's back, 
please consider subscribing to the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. The Dark Canuck, Melanie, sister to my favorite twin, Catherine, and Kayla. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to help support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a huge hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media and letting your friends know about what we're doing here. If anyone has any story ideas or want to get feedback on the show, you can find me at nighttimepodcast.com or on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm on YouTube most Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sunday nights at 9.15 Eastern Time. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.